Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have the man, the myth, the legend. Jeff Cohn is in the building. How are you, my friend? Such a great introduction. (laughs) What nobody knows is that Jeff has a producer in the background making these amazing noises. How's it going? (laughs) So Dana's with us today, too, Dana. Thank you. Hello. Pamela, thank you for bringing me on the show today. I'm super excited to be speaking to you and your audience. Most importantly, you. But hopefully there are some people listening to this episode. Absolutely. Since I've met you, your energy is super contagious and awesome. And you're just like, I'm at no surprise how you got to where you got to in this life because your energy is just like beautiful and amazing. So thank you so, so much for being here today, for your time, for all of that, my friend. And so I always start off with the most loaded question, if you're ready. Drum roll. What inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? So I've been asked that so I can give my not only canned answer, but actual intentional true answer as I've continually asked that question to myself. And it would be the desire to continually improve myself every day in every area of my life. And in so doing, knowing that that will create massive impact and influence in the lives of others. Love that, Jeff. And so what did you want to be when you grew up? At what point? (laughs) I still, I'm not growing up yet. I still want to grow up. So I wanted to be in a situation financially where I could do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted and felt like I had no limitations. And I didn't know when I was six years old, how much income I needed to have to have that. But I always have had a pretty big heart and desire to just have fun and see what all life has to offer me and the people in my world. And so for me, money in and of itself is simply ones and zeros. It's just fake. It's what money can do to bless the lives of others. It feeds us, houses us, clothes us, gives us the ability to give philanthropically, gives us the ability to see amazing things, travel to amazing places, be comfortable, eat amazing foods. So for me, what has really been truly motivating is being able to use what I have built, uh, what we have built to help other people be able to obtain those ones and zeros as well so that they can have freedom as well. And the more you look outwardly and focus on other people, the more you gain inwardly to become a better version of yourself so that you can continue giving back to others. And it's been a really interesting journey, I guess I could say. These amazing 40 years I've been on this planet. Amen, my friend. Amen. So looks to me like you were a wise old soul little kid, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> Tell them about the sunglasses. Wasn't there sunglasses? In oh, the man. Are there sunglasses at some point? Yeah, just as a younger man. I like this story. There's a couple here. I'll give the first on the Nintendo. I think, did we talk about this together, Pamela? We had done um, a little event at our school. I was in kindergarten, which in the United States is typically when you're five or six years old. It's pre-first grade. And in our elementary school, it went from K through five. So I was competing against fifth graders, fourth graders, third graders, second graders, first graders, and I'm in kindergarten. Whoever sold the most candy bars was going to receive this new video game system no one had ever heard of before called a Nintendo. So this is Atari time, and Nintendo is coming on the scene. So it did Sega Genesis about the same time. And what does a five-year-old want? Like the greatest dream in the world, right? Owning this little game system. 
So I tell my dad, I want to win this thing and I'll do whatever it takes. And he said, really? And I go, yes. And so he bought 10 cases of candy bars for me and then took me to a grocery store. And our plan was that we'd spend four or five different days at this grocery store selling these candy bars. And the hope would be that 10 cases got us the win. So we sold all the candy bars the first day at the grocery store because I started figuring out that I could go up to somebody and it was a dollar a bar and I'd say, hey, I can do three bars for $5. He tells me the story now. I would start working people. And of course, I was just this cute little bald, chubby <laughs> kindergarten kid. I remind myself as the kid from Up. And so a couple of weeks pass, no idea what's going on. I hear over the intercom, they announce uh, the winner of the new Nintendo, what is it, 32-bit system is Jeff Cohn. And like, there's hundreds of kids, thousands of kids at the school. And like the kindergarten kid wins. <laughs> and so you like unpack that story and you look at it and it's like, okay, I had to go be there. Right. I had to do it. I had to smile. I had to push the candy bars. I had to have a person there though, helping support me, which was my dad, somebody that believed in me, somebody that was willing to take that risk. And they put the money towards the bars and then they facilitated the exchange at the grocery store. And then of course I had to be in an environment where the school offered the gift. So there's a lot of players in people's success and you have to recognize all of the things that had to happen for that to happen, but it was a building block. And I have hundreds of more stories like that. Dana wanted me to tell the sunglasses story is when I was 15, I had an uncle, here's another person who wanted me to set up sunglass stands. And this is in Omaha, Nebraska, where it's only sunny, like two weeks out of the year. <laughs> and so for the whole summer, when everyone's driving around to swimming pools, we set up sunglass stands every day, Monday through Sunday. And we would bring in a couple thousand dollars a week selling sunglasses that he would purchase and source out of China for 50 cents a pair. And then we'd sell them one pair for $15 or two pairs for $20. And I would get all my friends and their girlfriends to sit on the random corners. We'd rent the corner for a hundred bucks, like at a gas station. We'd set up the sunglass stands. My job was to buy the sunglasses, set them all up, get all the people. Like I ran the whole operation. My uncle had the idea and he paid for everything up front. And then I was kind of like the implementer. And I made probably that one summer, I made probably $25,000 in three months. And this is when I was 15. My friend's parents were like, what, 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 what? you, what you made? What I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, what'd you do? And I was like, just sunglass sales, like sold sunglasses. So I have a lot of entrepreneurial experiences similar to that. Since he was five. <laughs> That's so great. Oh my, my goodness. favorite, my favorite was the Xbox story when I was in college and guys, I don't come from money. My family, my dad worked was the one that worked. My mom was a stay at home mom. Most of my life. Uh, she got her real estate license when I started first grade, she worked for my uncle as an assistant, but had her license and they had one car until maybe I started third or fourth grade. They'd share a car and my mom would drive him to work, drop him off, come home. He'd take the bus home, but I would say middle-class, lower middle-class. Uh, I think combined, they'd probably make in today's money, maybe 60 grand a year. So growing up, I had to generate the revenue for myself to have things, which is fine. I'm not complaining about that. It helped me be the person I am, but I wasn't the kid that like saw cool shoes and then asked mom and dad for it. I saw cool shoes and then figured out a way to generate enough income to be able to have the shoes. And that's why I said earlier, it was all about the freedom. I never expected someone else to give it to me. I never expected somebody else to solve the problem. I was good working my ass off. I was good looking for the way to solve the problem. I was good finding the things I wanted to spend my money on. And I actually enjoyed it. It was a process that I enjoyed and it helped me gain a lot of confidence at a young age. So one of my favorites was college. Um, I was probably 30,000 in debt. I was married very young. I got married when I was 22. So I think I was a sophomore in college. I'd spent two years actually in Brazil as a missionary. I speak fluent Portuguese and pretty good Spanish. And so I come back and everybody's talking about this new video game system. So here we go. Here's a parallel from when I'm six. It's the new Xbox. I think it was called the core 
version. I can't remember which one was the better one. One was $499, one was like $399. Well, to get one, you had to wait in line at Walmart for like 12 hours. And I lived in an apartment complex. I was in a one bedroom apartment. It was $425 a month. In this apartment complex, there were a lot of people that were there from Tajikistan on work visas. Mm -hmm. And so I became really good friends with the Tajiki people. And I asked them if they'd be interested in standing in line with me at Walmart. It takes 12 hours. I'd give them each $50 to spend 12 hours just hanging out at Walmart all day because they limited you to one Xbox per person. So I came with like 10,000 cash. I was ready to buy like 30 or 40 boxes, however many I could. And I paid everybody. We ended up getting like 20 boxes, Xboxes, and I got receipts for each of them. So worst case scenario, I could return them all if I couldn't go resell them right away, which was my intent. And I would have been out the money I paid all these guys to stand in line. So I drove directly over to a different electronics store where people were camping out overnight. So instead of starting the process at noon, they started it at midnight and they were going to camp overnight in the winter in Omaha, Nebraska, which is like five degrees outside. And so I drove up in a truck with 20 brand new Xboxes that these people are waiting in line for all night, sleeping, not even sure they're going to get one and sold them all for a thousand dollars an Xbox. <laughs> Whoa. A lot of people have stories like this. The one that makes this one unique in my mind was I had an insurance policy that if I failed, I could have just gone back to the Walmart, and returned them. They, at that time, they'd let you. I don't know if you could still play that game today, but that was something I did in college because all I wanted was an Xbox for free. I didn't do that to make profit. I wanted an Xbox. I didn't have any money. So I was like, all right, I'll figure out how to buy a bunch of Xboxes and sell them and maybe I'll get mine free. So I ended up getting two Xboxes for free and then a couple thousand of extra money. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh I was going to say, that's how he became a millionaire. And that's how you make a million dollars a year. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. I just want everyone to know listening. Jeff is not a drug dealer. He, he did this all clean. There was nothing, no illegal activity. No, you lease land. It's leasing the gas station. Like they'd charge you. It was smart on the gas station's part because like a lot of people go set up by antiques or pottery, paintings, kites, whatever. Like people just rent the corner of these gas stations to, to entrepreneurs. And so I, the reason I brought it up is I had to deal with the business owner. Like I was like, I would have assumed my uncle would have lined that all up. He's like, nope, go figure out the spots, figure out how much it's going to cost, figure out he had insurance. Like it was a legitimate legal business. I did all of it. And he kind of had an idea and was like, here, as far as payment was concerned, he and I kind of split everything. So he made a lot of money. He took the risk initially. And then I kind of ran with it. It was just a, it was a win-win. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. I love your stories though, because like, you know, like you were a natural born entrepreneur period. Like that's just what it came down to. And what I love is you've got those cheerleaders in your life that pushed you each and every single part of the process, which is freaking amazing. 100%. And I love that. Yeah. And, and that person's important. Present. Everybody wants a, a cheerleader. I think sometimes people look for their cheerleaders in the wrong places. Yes. Most of the time you're not going to have a true cheerleader on social. People are looking for validation when they go post something on social and they want everybody to say, oh, good job, or oh, look, it's so pretty, or thumbs up. Those probably aren't the people that you really need validation from, even though you think it. That's fake validation. Usually the people that really matter are, you could probably count on one hand. And I don't know that you should strive for their validation, but everybody naturally, I think even subconsciously, humanitarily, is going to want validation from their closest friends and family. And if you're a person that doesn't know how to give validation, I know I probably struggle with that a little bit, maybe a little borderline narcissistic. It's important to be aware that you're giving validation too, not just going in receiving it, but validating other people's successes. I absolutely love that, Jeff. I love that. And I mean, throughout your trajectory in growing up, like what was your career path like, you know, like going from high school to college and so on and so forth? Sure. 
Yeah, I just, I got an undergrad in, in business from the University of Nebraska, Omaha, emphasis in management. And so in 2006, I graduated. Fall of 2006, I got my real estate license. I recognized early on with the entrepreneurial spirit I had, I was going to not probably do a very good job at taking orders or being limited by a 3% pay increase every year. I needed to be in a commission environment. I needed to be in an environment where I could go a million miles an hour and nothing could hold me back. Uh, so in 2007 was my first year selling residential real estate. My goal was to make $100,000 net and I netted 96,000. I was off by one sale and I took a third of that and hired an admin. And I started finding that if I could replace myself and hire somebody and pay them to do something that I could then make more money doing higher income producing activities. So I hired an admin for $15 an hour to do work I had previously been doing so I could spend more time on higher income producing activities, which in residential real estate would be like prospecting for leads and going on appointments. And so I just kind of followed that pattern until 2011, I was making around 350,000 a year net selling about 70 homes, but I had increased my average sales price from probably 116,000 to 350,000. And I was focusing on listings rather than working with buyers because listings took half as much time. And in 11, we launched a real estate team. And my goal of the team was that within 20 years of launching, when I was in my fifties or sixties, it would allow me an exit strategy from selling real estate. And I was able to exit in three years. So in 2014, I stopped selling and I just focused on the real estate team as well as some other business ventures that I've launched. Our real estate team was the fastest growing real estate team in history. Anyone that can tell me that we weren't with actual facts, I'll buy you a hundred dollar gift card to the restaurant of your choice. But we went from 70 to over 700 real estate sales a year in six years. And so in 2018, we were at Berkshire Hathaway services. We were the number one team in the world doing over 700 sides. We made $3.2 million in gross commission income. Uh, we did about $130 million in sales volume. And in 2019, we decided to leave Berkshire and launch a Keller Williams franchise in Nebraska. So we own the Nebraska KW Elite franchise. We went from 30 agents to 150 agents in 18 months with 500% growth during COVID. And of course, the political insanity that happened during that time. We've expanded into nine offices across Nebraska, and we've recently launched an expansion business called E7, which partners with existing real estate brokerages to help them launch their own mortgage, title, insurance, and investment businesses, and provides them with the support of marketing and lead generation. And so that's been my latest venture. And then along the way, we started an investment company back in 2015, a title company that services all of our offices here, the mortgage arm, an insurance company that services all of our businesses here. And there's a bunch of other little side ventures as well. But my title now, I have no active role. All of my income is passive. My only active role, I would say, would be growth. I say I'm the director of growth. I don't have any business cards or email signatures that say that because I have direct implementers in all roles across all businesses. And so I get to spend my time doing all the things that I love, like being on a podcast and hanging out with you, going to Scottsdale and going golfing and traveling all over the country, learning how to sail, taking my 101, 103, and 104 classes so I can charter 50-foot catamarans in the Virgin Islands. I'll be doing a 10-day trip in the Virgin Islands, speaking at Boomtown United in April in Charleston, which is a big real estate event. Uh, going to Alaska fishing in June for a week. The list goes on and on. We just got back from a nine-day road trip, 3,600 miles to the southwest. We went to the Grand Canyon, spent some time in New Mexico at White Sands National Park and Carlsbad Caverns. So like I said before, it's not about the money for me. It's about becoming the best version of myself and then creating freedom in my life so I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it.
That is amazing, Jeff. You're a total badass. And I just sit here and I'm like, he is just like, boom, like rocket fuel, amazing. And I love your story and how you empower others as well, because you did not get here by just like, eh, right? Like it took a lot of heart, a lot of soul, a lot of courage, a lot of challenges, a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of everything. My grandpa didn't die and leave me a hundred million dollars. <laughs> Exactly. And not, nothing to take away from someone that does have that happen. I wish I wish that had happened to me, but I probably wouldn't be the person I am today if it had. Absolutely. And I mean, what I love about your journey is like how you've been able to skyrocket and that you've been empowering so many people throughout your journey. But walk me through the beginning phases of your business, basically like starting your first team and like some of the hardships yeah. you had with that and challenges and kind of like yeah how you yep. elevated past that point, because most people would listen to your story. Now they're like, how the hell? Like, it's like mind blown. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I flex a little on the podcast and I go pretty fast. So when people are like overwhelmed, please know that this happened over 15 years, which for anybody that has perspective on how much it takes to build any business, 15 years is really fast for one successful entity, let alone 15 successful entities. But I could never have done it had I not had the cheerleaders, had I not had banks backing me, had I not had family and friends, had I not had an amazing, significant other that allowed me to go do all these things while she took care and raised the family. So I, I didn't do it alone, but it was my vision. It was my desire, my passion, my tact, my intelligence, genius, whatever you want to call it, that was able to make all of this come to realization or reality. Uh, but I take you back to college and my senior year of college, I got really big into listening to podcasts and reading books. There's a really great quote. I don't know where it came from. So if anybody knows it, let me know. But um, it says the difference between you and me are the books that you read, the podcasts you listen to and the people you spend time with. And that's very true. No matter who's listening to this today, the only difference between you and I are the people you've spent your time with, the books that you've read and the podcasts you've listened to. So that told me that I needed to start uh, reading books and listening to podcasts and surrounding myself with people that I want to be like when I grow up, because I'm not going to become something that I don't know how to become. The only way you can have a path from A to B is to know how to get to B. Like having, thinking of a GPS system. If I knew I wanted to go to the Grand Canyon from Omaha, Nebraska, I can't just guess and just start driving aimlessly until I come across a huge crevasse that's 280 miles long. I need to know the exact route to get there if I want to get there in the next day and a half. It's like 26 hour drive. And so you have to know A, where you are and be self-aware enough to be realistic about where are you. B, where do you want to go? And that's big. If you can know where you are and where you want to go, you've, you've gotten almost to the end. C is how do I get there? That's the question you just asked. So in my senior year of college, I read a book and it was the top five regrets of the dying. And in this book, a hospice nurse helps around a hundred plus patients leave this earth or pass away. And in that process, she started to recognize that they would share everything with her, knowing they're about to leave this earth. They would start sharing with her their regrets. I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. And she was able to narrow it down to five main regrets that people had. And so as a college kid, you know, recently married, had a brand new baby girl, Jocelyn, at the time that was six months old, I'm getting ready to graduate college in 2006, not knowing what I want to be when I grow up. It was an interesting perspective to get to learn from all of these people who had lived their entire lives. It shaped the decision I made out of college of what industry I wanted to get into, what industry was going to give me the freedom so I didn't have regrets, what job was going to give me freedom so I didn't have regrets, what kind of relationship did I want to be in, what kind of a city did I want to live in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I started doing what's called informational interviews. So anyone listening, this is free. This is simple. You have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. But what I did was before leaving college and choosing my occupational path, I decided to interview 10 people that I respected. 
people that I knew had lived a good enough amount of time that they could give me advice based on the human that I was. I think ideally you meet with people that know you or know your family. So they have a little bit more perspective of what they think your abilities are. But I'd sit down with someone like you, Pamela, and I'd just say, hey, Pamela, I have a lot of respect for you. You've known my family for 15 years. I know you've done a good job in your accounting business or whatever the case might be. Would it be okay if we went and got coffee or had lunch? I'd buy it for you for $10, whatever. I had no money. And I just want to pick your brain. I want to, I'm not sure what occupation I want to go into. And I just want to ask you some questions. And then that hour long would be like a pod, like this podcast. I would just be like, Hey, I have no real, this is super informal, but I'm thinking about getting my real estate license. I'm not sure yet. As you know, I'm married. I have a six month old little girl. Like we live in Omaha. What do you think? If you did things again, how would you have done them differently? What were your biggest regrets? What would you, if you, today you were me back 20 years ago, what would you have done? I actually did these about 25 times for over the course of about three months. And it helped shape my decision to live in Omaha, Nebraska, which is where I was raised and also become a residential agent, which I started in 2007. So the day I started in real estate in November of 2006, I did the exact same thing with the top 25 agents in Omaha. Hmm. So I did informational interviews. Hey, if you'd been a realtor in 2006 and you were 25 years old with spit and vinegar ready to take over the world, what would you do? How would you spend your time? What kind of database would you use? What would, how would your team look? And then in 2011, when we launched our real estate team, did it again. I went to 50 brick and mortar locations across the country, visited all the top agents and did the exact same thing. If you were going to launch a team again, how would you do it? What's your team look like? What's your biggest regret? What's your biggest failure? What's your biggest, mm. you know, what was the biggest takeaway that you've had so far building your business? And so this is a pattern and I've started to recognize that you don't have to fail in everything because other people have failed before you. You have to choose to be self-aware enough to be able to go to those other people and ask them to share with you their failures and their successes. So you can learn from their failures and you can win faster. And the person that fails the most wins the most, but people are so stinking scared these days to fail because they look stupid or because they'll feel bad about themselves or it's embarrassing or whatever the case might be. But the truth is the people that succeed the very highest level, they've failed more than everybody else. They're the most successful because they're the biggest loser. Amen. Oh my goodness, Jeff. I love that you did that because it's something that's out of the box that you went out and interviewed these people. But it also shaped your decisions, which I really find beautiful. I love that you take this like research approach, which most people don't do. Most people like waste their time going through this and this and this and this and don't take the time to say, whoa, whoa. like you right. said, let me take a second and let me ask the people who definitely have been there because obviously they're successful. So what did they do differently that made them who they are in their business and whatnot, which I freaking love. That's like free education which is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And people love talking. I mean, I've never turned somebody down. We now have a coaching company called Elite Real Estate Systems. We have the podcast. We host um, events in Omaha. We just got off of an event the last two days with 30 people that came from all over the country, some people from even outside of the United States. And so, you know, it's important to have a platform to pay it forward. And I think that's what it does for you and I, Pamela, to have this podcast. Our podcasts are intended to help give to other people. It's not about us. We don't make a lot of money off of a podcast. The idea is to help other people and help change the world. And you truly can if you're willing to open up your mouth and talk and not be scared of looking stupid. And that's why it's so important to be, I think, authentic and be real. I mean, Pamela has seen me in some pretty vulnerable situations, even in just the last couple of weeks um, at certain events that we've attended and things that I've chosen to share. And I've never regretted being authentic. Anytime you do, then you regret who you are because authenticity is just truthfulness. And so if somebody sees me in my authentic state and they don't like what they see, then they just, they simply don't like me. And I want to better understand why they might not like how I come off in my authentic state, but I have to be true to who I am. 
And it's okay if everyone doesn't like you. That's okay. Be who you are. Live your life as a true person. This is actually one of the top five regrets. One of the top five regrets is living a life someone else wanted you to live and not the life you wanted to live. Living the life your son wanted you to have or your significant other or your mom or dad or your grandpa. You know, everyone has this pressure to be something. Be what you want to be. That pressure is bullshit. Be your best version. Be who you want to be when you grow up. Don't worry about what anybody else is and quit comparing yourself to everybody else. Nothing matters except you. You don't have to compare yourself to your brother or to Tesla or anyone else and anything else. It's just all that matters is, in my opinion, is every single day you, you improve as a human to help your life and in so doing it helps the lives of other people. Amen, Jeff. Well, I just love your energy and just how down to earth that you are, like who you are here on this podcast today. Like this is who you are off the record too. <laughs> like it's exactly who you are. And I love that. It's so beautiful because it's so raw and authentic. And it's like, you share those stories to you. The work that you've done really impacts you at a higher level. Like you're thinking about legacy. You're thinking about your people, everybody that you empower. Cause like you could legitimately stop today and be totally fine for the rest of your life, but you continue and you grind and you keep going and you keep doing that. And that's what I think is so respectable and amazing because yeah. if you have the money, some people would think, oh, Jeff doesn't need to do any of this. Like he can just- Yeah. Off. There's well, so, people certainly can. Yeah, <laughs> there's know? active income and passive and yeah. active income is the income you get from the work you do. Passive income is the income you get from the businesses or investments that you own. And I learned about back in 2016 when I was part of GoBundance, they talked about being a hundred percenter and a hundred percenter was someone who was able to live a hundred percent of their overhead expenses were covered by their passive income. So you could even be a 200 percenter where if your passive income, let's say you needed a hundred thousand a year to live your life, all your expenses, et cetera. And you were making a hundred thousand dollars a year in passive, then you were a hundred percenter. If you were making 200,000 a year in passive, then you'd be a 200 percenter. It's interesting because life you think oh i need a hundred thousand to live off of or 300 or whatever the number is it's arbitrary because you don't know because you haven't experienced it yet but once somebody gets to a point where they're making more money than they actually need to live off of it forces you to ask a lot of questions like do i need to keep making more money do i need to keep rising in the business that i'm in what's the point of even going to work once you've made the money or don't need to work any longer then what's the point and gary keller spells this out he's a billionaire he owns keller williams is the largest real estate company in north america 180,000 agents and on the top of his book, Millionaire Real Estate Agent, it says, it's not about the money. It's about being the best that you can be. And I've corrected Gary. I don't think the word should be being. I think it should be becoming. Mm. It's not about the money. It's about becoming the best version of yourself. Work, your job, what do you do for a living should not be for money. What you do should be to become a better version of yourself. You should be able to do that in your personal life, your physical life, your mental life your travel life, your leisure life, your fun life, like anything you're doing independent of work or not work for money or not for money, it should always be about becoming a better version of yourself. And in so doing, you bless the lives of the people that are around you in all of those different spaces. So yes, I'm going to still be here because if I were to say I'm deuces, I'm just going to go hang out at home and play Nintendo. We actually have an uh, Xbox. I don't think that I'd become the best version of myself. I'd get really good at Fortnite, maybe be able to beat my 12 year old son, but I don't know that it'd make me the best in all the other areas. And so I really want to live well-rounded and I find the people that are the happiest, they're not the happiest because they've got money or because they drive a Range Rover. The people that are the happiest are the people that are always working to have more, but are always grateful for what they've accomplished. And you can't be grateful for where you are until you recognize that where you are is unique or where you are is special. You have to have gratitude for it. And the dysfunction with the society we live in is social media has been built to make people feel bad about where they are because they sell products. So if they make you feel ugly, 
and there's a little product you could buy that makes you feel prettier because it tells you it will, then you'll buy the product. Everybody should feel beautiful how they are. Everybody should be grateful for the place they get to go sleep in at night where they feel safe. Everybody should be grateful for the skin color that they have, for the religion that they grew up in. Even if they don't believe in it any longer, look for the reasons to be grateful for the situations you've been in and then always strive to become better. I love that, Jeff. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I just love that you said becoming, becoming the best version of you. 100%. I've got three kids. My daughter, Jocelyn, 16. Bella's 14. Bella and Levi's 12, and they've always talked about their grades. I've never worried about them getting ones, twos, threes, or ABCs. For me, it's always been, are you doing better every day? If you are always a B student and you're striving and striving and you're still a B student, you've been a success in my book. My kids know that that's my sentiment. When my son goes to his football game and he's super upset because the team lost, I always get up in his face in a nice way and say, it's not about your team winning or losing. Did you do your very best? Did you contribute to the team? Did you check in on the players that weren't playing well to make sure that they were feeling good? And that you can affect the everyone you touch in this world, everyone that listens to your voice, everyone that sees you, everyone that watches your facial expression, you can control a lot more than you know you can control. And so I'm teaching him these things now and my daughters that right now, they, it's all about their mindset. All they need to do is get a little bit better because if you do that every day consistently over long periods of time, you will change the world by changing who you are. Hey, man, Jeff, I absolutely love that. Oh my goodness. I could talk to you all day, honestly. <laughs> I think we said that last time. <laughs> it's like, seriously, but in your businesses, right? So there's, I know there's entrepreneurs listening because there's a lot of millennial entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. And I know they're going to have this question of like, what were some strategies that Jeff used for success in building what he built out? So it's interesting. I was interviewed on a lot of podcasts early on in my real estate career because our real estate team went from like 2011 to 2014. We went from 70 deals to 425. Yeah. And 425 real estate sales is, is unique. There's not a lot of teams in America that sell over 400 deals a year. It generates a lot of revenue. You know, without me even having to sell, I was making over half a million. And then I made my first million net, which MREA, the book gets you to seventh level, which teaches you how to make a million dollars a year in your real estate business working less than five hours a week. The number one word I'll use to share with the listeners that are entrepreneurs, how you do that is leverage. If you don't have leverage, you'll never perform at the highest level because leverage allows you to make money in a passive role versus an active role. We talked earlier about becoming a hundred percenter. You can't be a hundred percenter if you have to be in an active role. If you are the CEO of your company, you're in an active role. If you're doing sales, you're in an active role. If you run the marketing department, you're in an active role. If you're the CPA for your company, you're in an active role. So what I've learned is over time, your goal should always be to be the best you can be in your active role with the intent to one day pass that torch over to the next person. That's going to be better for the role than what you were so that you can move on to the next important role that's higher income producing. And so everybody that ever comes into our world, I always share with them that in our world, our intent is to help them make more money in less time with less energy so that they can live and lead the life of their dreams. And if our organization or organizations are not the solution to allow them to make more money in less time with less energy, we invite them to leave and go find an organization that can because we want everyone to end up living and leading the life of their dreams. So if we're not helping them to do that, we don't want them in our world. We want them in our world because they're able to accomplish their dreams in our world. And so we had to create a really big world because some people have really big dreams and that's okay. So the first thing is creating leverage and then it's recognizing why you're choosing to work in the active role you're in. I think a lot of people get complacent. I know a lot of people are entitled 
And I feel like a lot of people choose to stay in roles because it validates their identity. Mm. So it starts to get pretty deep psychologically. But when people sell a house and they make $17,000, there's an endorphin response. It's exciting. Oh, I got another sale. Or when I sold candy bars at six years old, oh, I sold another candy bar. And you start to become addicted to that. But not only that, you start to be addicted to the success you receive because in our industry and in a lot of industries, they put you on a pedestal. They give you a trophy. They give you all the accolades. You become the guy or the gal that everybody aspires to be like when they grow up. But when I think about what I wanted to be when I grew up and when I read all of these books and listened to all these podcasts and masterminded with all these people, people always use the phrase rock star. Dude, she's a freaking rock star, man. Crushing it. No offense, Dana, no offense to you either. Boo, I, I hate that. I, Dana's I, seriously, a rock star. I hate that term. No, no, I'm just saying that. I, no, I play music, but like it, it's, it's so watered down now. He's talking. Look at <laughs> we got him to talk. He said to talk. I, I love my boss talk. told me to talk. Oh, so. I'm not your boss. <laughs> All right. So you, you're, you're self-employed. I know. We <laughs> talked about this. Jeff helped me with that. All right. So rock stars play until they die. They're on stage just playing and playing and playing. And they're always in this active role. Doctors, dentists, attorneys, CPAs, all these different roles that our society is taught to respect. They're all in active roles. Who wins keeping those people in active roles? Uh, professional athletes. They're in an active role. You can think your professional athlete that you guys love is so amazing that they have to go play every day. I don't. Who's more amazing? Person that has to go to work or the person that wouldn't have to go if they don't want to? Show me a quarterback that plays in the NFL that can go, nah, I'm not going to play Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not going to go over very well. I don't have to go to work today. In fact, I don't want to come be here right now, Dana. I'm going home. <laughs> I'll take over. <laughs> so it's in. Yeah, exactly. So is it, I don't even know where I left, left off, but I think um, creating that leverage and then being very cognizant of the active versus the passive and always choosing to work in such a role where you know you're making more money, less time, less energy. But then the people that are working in your world always focusing on that as well for them. So I like to talk about sheep. My kids get sick of me talking about this. We were just on this road trip and I kept bringing it up in, in our lives. We will always be a sheep, a shepherd and a wolf. Mm. Most people are sheep, 98%. 1% are wolves and 1% are shepherds. Shepherds are in, in position to protect the sheep. They feed the sheep. They help the sheep have new sheep babies. They protect the sheep from the wolves. And they help the sheep become better, the best versions of themselves. Wolves want to destroy. Wolves' goals are to take as much as they can from the sheep, to eat the sheep. They live off of the sheep. And they hate the shepherd. Most of the time, the wolves can't beat the shepherd. The shepherd's too smart for them. And so in my life, I've always asked myself today, am I showing up as a sheep? Am I showing up as a shepherd or am I showing up as a wolf? And then when I watch others around me, I ask myself, are they a sheep? Are they a shepherd or are they a wolf? Well, if I can recognize that they're a wolf, I want to kill them. If I recognize that they are a sheep, my intent is to help them one day become a shepherd. Mm. And it's interesting because there's Gary talks about Gary Keller talks about the domino effect in the one thing, the book, the one thing. If my goal is to help my child graduate from Harvard when they're six years old, I'm not talking about Harvard with them when they're six. I'm going to talk about reading the next six-year-old book. I'm going to talk about going to the museum. I'm going to read, you know, read to them. I'm going to do these small little tasks. So true leaders can see that they can recognize who someone is and then see the, what that person's potential is and then help provide them with a path to reach their full potential recognizing that not all people are created equal. Not everyone has the same potential and that's completely okay. We talked about the NFL earlier. 
Some people aren't meant to be NFL football players. Other people have the genetics to be NFL football players, and that's fine. So true leaders should give the people in their world the ability to become their best self, provide them with that, that roadmap to be their best self, and hold them accountable along the way. So long answer to your very short question earlier, which was, you know, some, what are some of the strategies that we've, that we've come to learn to help us to grow and scale? So our team grew super fast and all these people would ask me to come on their podcasts and we'd talk and people would come to Omaha, Nebraska and visit. And I wanted to really break it down to like a one hour presentation that I could talk about that really defined why we were successful. So I'm going to share it with you right now. The acronym is CLASS, like stay classy San Diego. E-L-A-S-S, culture, leads, accountability, systems, strategies. Every business has to have a strong culture. Every business has to have lead generation. Every business has to have accountability. Every business has to have a system. Every business has to have strategies for growth. And if you can get all five and you can get them all firing together, nobody can stop you. I don't care what industry that you're in, but we could have a conversation around each of those topics. So that's what our workshop focuses on. Yesterday, we spent eight hours on that. Um, elite real estate systems coaching for residential agents and brokers. That's all we talk about. Every week we spend, there's eight hours of classes that we provide. And we help people redefine their culture, become what they want to become when they grow up. We're always looking at better ways for us to improve inside of our world. It's been really unique because we're one of the only coaching companies that actually runs the business that it coaches other people to run. So you guys will find in time, coaches a lot of times don't play. Like your NFL coach doesn't play right now, right? They're just, they're coaching a team and they haven't played maybe ever, or they haven't played in a long time. We thought it would make us unique to have a coaching company that ran parallel to an already existing real estate business that was the number one business in the world. We thought maybe some people would think that that was some, somewhat advantageous. And yeah. so like what I like to tease about is if you want to become an apple, you have to start as an apple seed. So a little bit of the apple seed needs to be like, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be an apple tree. Okay, I need to be an apple seed then to be an apple tree. So I, if you want to become like something, make sure you're learning the right things to become like the thing you're wanting to become. Sometimes people want to be ABC, but then they're going to XYZ to get their answers. Absolutely. Jeff, I love that. I love that. And I know you've dropped so many nuggets and gems, but I'm gonna, I want to ask you this last question, which I love, 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 love. Okay, let's hear it. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now, business, personal. Yeah, I got it. Slow down, enjoy the ride. There's no end. There's no finish line. You're never done. Enjoy that. the journey. Quit feeling like you got to get that last text done. You got to get that last email done. You got to go to this next appointment. You don't have time for anybody. My number one goal is if you call me this afternoon, Pamela, I answer my phone and I say, hey, Pamela. And you say, hey, Jeff, I know you're so busy because you have a million different things. Hey, Pamela, I'm in my hot tub. Just got done getting sushi. <laughs> hanging out i'm doing a little bit of zen moment doing some meditation i saw you it was you and i just wanted to hey, say hey to one of my friends and have a little conversation how are you how are things in your life if you don't have space to be present you'll never accomplish anything especially the most important thing <laughs> thank you dana back to the society we're in it starts to get super conspiracy theory but it's 100 true and everyone's gonna go oh my gosh i didn't know this was happening there's noise <sighs> noise happening all the time. The intent of the noise is to get us to buy products. It's to get us to feel a certain way so that we'll spend money. So the best thing you can do every day is spend 30 to 60 minutes shutting all the noise off, shutting the TV off, shutting the music off, shutting the car radio off, tuning everything out and give yourself time to reset. Give your brain time in your own thoughts. And it's really interesting because every time I fly, every time I go on a long road trip, I like really enjoy my brain. 
I've like really started loving myself more and I'm not in like an unhealthy narcissistic way, but like it's just fun to process things. And like I'll go hours just kind of thinking and like zoning out and I've had my wife a couple times look over and like, hey, are you good? Like, <laughs> you glitching? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having so much fun. You just interrupted my thoughts. <laughs> and I'm not like this. Like my personality is like super alpha. So like I'm not usually so like, I don't know high eye on the disc test. I, I, I usually am more like practical. I don't usually have like that, you know, head in the cloud type of mentality, but you can do a lot with your mind and everything starts there. How you think, how you show up in your mind, the lens you look at the world in will define how you feel. And then how you feel will define the work you choose to do. And then the work you choose to do will get you the results that hopefully you're looking for. So if you want to change everything, change the way you think, and then you can do anything you want. I love that, Jeff. Thank you so, so much for that amazing insight and a reminder for me to be present. Cause sometimes, like you said, when you're an entrepreneur, you're go, go, go. And you're all the time, you're like, what's the next thing? You know what I mean? Even if you do have, like, for me, it's like this uh, constant restlessness of like things going on. Like I have passive income that comes in and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, my mind's always in the next place. And then sometimes it's a great reminder to just be. Yeah. And you can plan. I mean, this sounds crazy. You can plan space to be not present. So it, you should plan it. Don't think you're just going to have an extra hour in your day to not think or an extra hour in your day to get your workout in. It has to be on a calendar. So I, I'm pretty huge on respecting my time box. Yeah. Uh, my time block everything. Whatever my one thing is, I have it done before noon every day. Learned that from my good friend, John Major, win by noon. Whatever is your one thing that you want to have accomplished this year in your life or this week in your life, put it on your calendar. Make sure you've done it before noon. Everything else comes after. Your one thing happens first. You never don't do your one thing. And that could be weight loss. That could be marriage counseling. That could be finishing a book. Doesn't matter what it is. Put it on the calendar. That's your first thing. That's your one thing has to happen before anything else can happen. I love that, Jeff. You're amazing. And now what's up in your world in the next six to 12 months? And then you got to let everyone know where to find you, my friend. Yeah. So you just go to at Jeff M. Cohn on Instagram at Jeff M. Cohn and growwithers.com. If you're in the real estate space, we give away tons of free stuff there. You can join the podcast if you want to check that out, growwithers.com. Yeah, so the next, my next six years before my youngest graduates from high school is to spend all of my time building and scaling a new business venture that I kind of shared earlier called E7. And so we have a belief that the residential real estate agent today that's getting compensated off of a, a commission of five or 6%, a lot of people don't understand how agents get paid, but real estate agents usually split that commission in most places 50-50. So if you're in California and a million dollar house sells, there's a 5% commission attached to that. So $50,000 goes to the realtors and they usually split it 50-50 where one would get 25 grand, the other gets 25 grand. Well, just like Blockbuster who was sitting fat, eating their big block of cheese, thinking nothing's gonna change, Netflix came over and said, hey, we're gonna do an online video thing where you can rent your movies and they'll send you DVDs to your house. And then eventually it became online streaming and Blockbuster really wasn't that concerned. Well, that's the real estate industry right now. Realtors are like, oh no, we're good. We're, we're necessary. People are always gonna need us. We'll always make this 5% commission. Well, big business, big tech is sitting there going, well, we, can, we think we can do this a different way. There still will be a real estate agent, but instead of keeping 5%, they'll just get paid $100. If an Uber driver is willing to drive somebody and make whatever they make, 50 bucks an hour, let's say, I don't think they make that much, but let's say that they did. There should be an Uber driver that could get their real estate license that would drive to a house, open the door and get paid $50 to open that door. And the rest of the work can be done online, like LegalZoom. So what happens to the real estate industry? The commissions go away, but that buyer still needs mortgage. They still need title. They still need insurance. 
And so we're bringing mortgage title and insurance joint ventures to existing real estate teams and brokerages in the top hundred cities across America over the next five years. So our intent is that doing so will save the residential real estate industry because the agent now can get paid by the third party ancillary business instead of getting paid off of the real estate commission by assisting the client through the real estate process. And of course, there's all sorts of legalities around this. We're still working on some pieces to that. But in a nutshell, the intent was save the real estate industry, create the ancillary partner with existing real estate businesses. And that's what we've been working on for two years. You are a badass. Yeah, I'll be badass. I like badass. badass. You're you're a badass. Thank you so much. And I just adored having you here today. Thank you so much for dropping your gems, your knowledge, your everything. I'm so inspired by you. And I'm sure that everyone listening is like, he's the man. Which I know. So thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you and appreciate all you guys listening. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs.